Now, just a disclaimer on this episode. When I recorded it, me and my wife had just gotten back from attending a football game, so my voice was kind of shot. Now, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is talking to Mormons of all walks of life. This episode is an example of just that. I had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Nate and Megan Richardson. Nate and Megan are devout members of the LDS Church who have decided to structure their family and raise their kids in a very traditional Mormon way. We covered everything from Nate's career as a public educator, to why they decided to homeschool their kids, to how they approach dating for their kids. We have fascinating conversations that span the gamut of many, many different topics. And that's next on this episode of the Mormon Renegade Podcast. to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. So I just want to take a moment to thank you, the listener. When I started this podcast, I wasn't sure if anyone would really listen. Now, to my surprise, this thing has taken on a life of its own. And that's all due to you, the listener, spending your time here with me. And it means a great deal to me. Now, as a husband and father, I'm keenly aware of how important time is. It feels like there's just never enough of it. So when you are spending your time here listening to this podcast, I feel a responsibility to never waste your time. In that spirit, as this podcast has grown, I feel like I need to do you, the listener, justice. I want to continue to produce good content and upgrade the audio quality. That takes better equipment and better software, and that all takes money. Now, I've tried to advertise, but you'd be surprised. There's not a lot of people wanting to advertise on a Mormon fundamentalist podcast. I know, surprising, right? Now, if you want to help support the podcast, you can do that one of two ways. The first is go over to mormonrenegade.com and hit the Donate tab. There you can make a one-time donation, or you can go ahead and set it up to be a monthly recurring donation. Your choice entirely. Now, option number two, because I'm a capitalist, if you want to head on over to mormonrenegade.com, click on the store button, you're going to find that we've got some new swag out. We got some t-shirts, we have a tote, we have cell phone cases, water bottles, coffee cups, we got a bunch of stuff and more is going to be on the way. So, if you feel like that's something you could do, again, head on over to Mormon Renegade and check all that stuff out. If you're not in that position to do so, I completely understand. We're all squeezed right now with high gas prices and high inflation. So even if you can't, please keep listening and maybe keep the podcast in your prayers so we can continue to grow, produce good content, and better audio quality. Thank you. Welcome back to the Mormon Renegade Podcast. As always, you can get a hold of me uh, either by email at mormonrenegade at gmail.com you can also get a hold of me on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Getter under the handle Mormon Renegade. Also, we have a website up, and that's mormonrenegade.com. So go check that out. So I'm here today with uh, Nate Richardson and uh, his wife, Megan Richardson, and uh, their baby, actually. This is a first for me, is having a baby and on the podcast. But uh, I... I've met Nate a couple of times, uh, not in person, but he reached out to me uh, through email after hearing the podcast a little bit. We had some great discussions, and uh, one of the things we both agreed on 
was that society seems to be somewhat broken and fractioned, you know, just fractionalized at the moment. And there's some, some major issues that's facing us. Now, what I didn't realize was is that Nate has can speak very uniquely to not only how broken things are, but also being able to diagnose them. And the reason he can speak to this uniquely is that Nate is a dad who, by profession, is an educator. And because of that, he can kind of see the patterns of, you know, what kids are having problems and, and put that together based on, on what their life experiences have been. So as we've, we, we, as we talked about wanting to, to talk here and have a conversation, we wanted to dive into to why it is society is, is struggling right now. What are those issues that are facing us? So that's, that's kind of what we're doing here. I'm glad to be here too. And yeah, I've uh, got my wife, Megan, and she'll chime in now and then. Uh, she, like David said, I'm, uh, like you said, I'm uh, an educator. I've worked at different youth treatment centers as well. And I actually teach at one. And so I'm getting, when, when the kids get kicked out of school, they come to my class. We've also had, um, and I, I watch them go through their therapy and go through all this. And, and I see how, how it's really an atheist therapy system that doesn't work and how these programs, um, that these kids are going to are basically not nearly as effective as they could be if they had a Christian background and all that. And then another side of things that we've seen is the foster world. We've been foster parents for like six years and um, we've had a lot of fun times holding hands with the government, trying to deal with kids. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I I um, came from a, a bit of a broken home as well of a divorce family and all that. And, Basically, half of us are these days, I guess, of us. Uh, but uh, so I saw firsthand how that was not ideal. And, and all my kids at these, um, where I work at this uh, treatment center, I'll ask them, my favorite question is, do you come from a, like, who in the room grew, lives with their biological parents? And it's basically 0%. Right. <laughs> Every blue moon, there's somebody. So, and then the other thing that, that David, we talked about that we might hit on is, uh, um, there's a lot of things actually, but homeschooling, we're, we're big into that stuff and we recognize it's not for everybody and it's not like the only path to salvation, but it's something that we're passionate about. So as, as you've watched this happen and, and every, everybody knows, but we, we live in Utah, right? And so you would think because of the strong Mormon influence that we would see less of this. Has, has that been your experience? I mean, when you look and see how many problems we're dealing with here, how do they relate in comparison to the rest of the world? Do we have any less problems per capita than California or, or any of those other major population well, centers? Everybody's got less problems per capita than California. Well, okay, that's a good point. The, <laughs> but, the People's Republic of California. Yeah. yeah. So, actually, where I work, most of the um, clients are shipped over here from California. Oh, are they? So, Utah's kind of like a strong hub for treatment for youth. There's a, there's a good amount of programs here and states from all around the West. And I even have kids from Alaska. Every blue moon, I'll get a kid from out of the country. But, um, you know, Nevada 
uh, different states. But uh, so the kids that are from Utah, it's kind of funny because sometimes they'll know a little bit of the the Mormon culture and all that. And um, or a lot of times they'll be from inactive families um, or they'll just, you know, and uh, you can fire up some of that with them every every now and then but but no i i think uh i think utah has a lot of problems you know you go to we've got you know you've got the this isn't it like the state flag they're trying to change now to get rid of the beehive yeah it's like we just want we just want to be as non-mormon as we can and and in utah you have this unique problem with (laughs) with kids growing up if you grow up like i went on my mission to georgia and the kids there, they'll say, oh, in school or something like, hey, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm a Mormon. But in Utah, I've, you know, I'd pull that card and it's like, well, guess what? I'm a Mormon too. Right. <laughs> Bottoms up, you know. And uh, I know you uh, were joined the church when you were 18 or something. Yeah, and, I was, I was not 17. In, yeah. Not in Utah, right? You were no, I was, I was in Western Idaho. Now... There was a lot of LDS people there, right? Not yeah. as much as Utah, obviously, but there was a fair amount of um, of LDS kids around. And so when my wife said, because my wife was raised LDS, she was pretty inactive when we met, but um, she said she wanted to raise kids Mormon, and I didn't have a problem with that. I mean, some of my best designated drivers in high school were Mormon, yeah. right? You know, guys I played football with. There it's was there probably, was a reason to have those guys yeah, around. Probably in your best interest. So to yeah, you know, it, it wasn't bad. But what what I what I discovered was is that especially once I got to Utah, is that kids are kids everywhere, right? I mean, sure, but but. You would think that if if these kids were being raised with a gospel background, so to speak, we would have less of those problems. What I'm beginning to pick up now and see is that that's not necessarily the case, right? I think as a people, we're starting to fall into the same demographics as everybody else. We're always a couple steps behind. You know, we like to play the neighbor comparison game and, well, my neighbor does that. So I'm a little better than that. So I'll just do this. And then it goes down, you know, Hegelian dialect, right? It's like, we're going to get a little worse and a little worse and a little worse. And that's, we see with the birth rate too, right? Is right. Our birth rate is higher than, you know, everyone in the United States, but it's on its way down, you know? And, uh, um, yeah, I, it's hard to, you know, you'll get these people that'll get up at a, at a meeting and they'll, they'll lecture and say, Utah has this high pornography, this high psychotropics, antidepressants. And, and on the one hand, I'm down with those kind of rebukes. But on the other hand, it's getting hard to say Utah statistics equal Mormon statistics. Right. Because there's so many now that are not, you know, it's (laughs) like, this is a, this is what is it? It's like the fastest growing state. In the yeah, union, right? Yeah, it's right like, now. now this is a hopping place to be. And I work in development, right? I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a land surveyor by profession, so a lot of what I do depends on new development, right? And yeah, you, I think Utah's number two, right behind Idaho in the Boise oh, area. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's 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 booming, and and you're right, the demographics are changing, right? So, and I think also, um, I think we have to recognize that even even within quote 
you know, historically Mormon families or historically Utah families, they may not necessarily always be um, active families within the LDS church or some form of Mormonism. It's almost sad because Utah used to have this thing of, hey, we're different in Utah. Mm-hmm. And I, I've, I'm i having to take some classes right now, and one of them is a required like social justice warrior class that I just punched myself <laughs> for having to take. I was going to say, you know, it's, a, a hammer to the crotch might be quicker and less painful. You said that expression. It's hilarious. Um, but I've, I had to take one of those at BYU for my undergraduate. I did, um, I did study just about everything under the sun at BYU, and we might talk about that later. I was, I did some science stuff. I hated all the pro evolution jargon, and I did this other stuff. And we also, when I was at my time at, at BYU, is when we got into the fostering, and so we had a bunch of these kids at our house that that we'd adopted that we had no clue what to do with because they're totally out of control. On us. So I say, okay, I'm, and and I come from a broken home myself. And so I say, okay, I'm going to go figure out how to run a family. So I take all these family classes. And, uh, cause like, who doesn't want to know how to run a family? Cause nobody knows, right? Um, but it turns out they didn't know <laughs> either. <laughs> and, uh, I was really disappointed that I didn't, uh, <sighs> but anyway, the point I was getting at is, um, I had to take another one of these social justice warrior classes there. And, um, uh, but anyway, at both of these classes, this, uh, there are some nightmare stories I can tell you from that class where it's, it's just, I don't, what do you call them? There's a rhino for Republican in name only, maybe yep. a mino Mormon in name only, or a, right. you know, a saint in Sino. I don't know, but there's some of these professors that wedge their way into BYU and, and otherwise. But anyway, this class I'm taking right now, the lady's not from Utah. And she said, oh, I'm going to have to move to Utah. And I, it's crazy over there. There's all these religious people and all this, and I don't want to deal with that. And she said, but I moved here and I was so pleasantly surprised that that wasn't the case. And they were just all normal people. And I'm going, Oh man, we want to be different, but we're no longer, you know, I'd say there's still a remnant of that, but we're so eager. You know, Joel Skousen talks about this. He says, as, as a people with a history of being oppressed, we're so anxious to fit in. We're done. We're worn out. We're done yeah. being oppressed. It's like, okay, let's just, we want to fit in a crowd now. And that's, you know, if you want to have these lofty goals of, of exaltation and all this, I'm sorry, that's the only way. Being weird is the only way. But, and the Lord said it, right? The Lord said you are a peculiar people. Yeah. You are a people that are different. Well, when we strive to be like the rest of the world, guess what? We're going to inherit the world's problems. Absolutely. And so, and unless we're willing to be weird again, and it's something... Hey, it, there we go. Make Utah weird again. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Or gonna, something like that. We're going to make a bumper sticker and shirts, and, and yeah. we're going to make some money. Or make, um, make Utah Mormon again would make, probably be a little better. Yeah, that might be a little bit better. But <laughs> but it's it's an odd thing because I find myself now, and, and I mentioned it on the last podcast I just did, but it's been floating around my head for a little while here. We almost need to, to get back to this idea of Perhaps we need to be a little bit of a counterculture, right? Exactly. Um, I, I think, I mean, obviously, when, when you hear the word counterculture, the first thing you think of is like hippies in the park in the Haight-Ashbury smoking dope, talking about reaching a higher plane, right? Yeah, yeah. 
But I don't think that's it. If you if you look back in history, there have been plenty of times when there have there has needed to be a counterculture, right? Yeah. Let's not forget the founding fathers even printed off, you know, used different Their forms currency, of currency, yeah. right? Or you know, we're, we're, the, the early early Christians that was a counterculture. Yeah, movement. that was a very Christian counterculture movement, right? Where they were meeting underground and, and that sort of stuff because they yeah. couldn't meet out out in the open. So I think. I think we have to get used to it. If, if for, for Mormons who are traditionalists or fundamentalists, I think we have to get back to this idea of we need to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in Babylon. You know, right? there's so much pressure that it's it's so much almost like legal pressure now to, right. to be, you know, zero religion. You know, it's like the state religion is, is atheism because if you do anything else, you're in big trouble. And that's something that I've liked that, one of the things that um, the church has been involved with lately is uh, with the with the gay rights stuff. I'm not a uh, we're a very conservative family, and um, but something that I heard was, you know, there's the old bake a cake for your gay marriage thing, right? Right. So something that from what I hear that the church has been pushing is let's not discriminate against the individual. Like if this gay guy wants a birthday cake. I'm going to help him out. That's, you know, but if he wants a cake for his gay wedding, I can by principle say that's against my moral convictions to celebrate that. And so I don't have to legally do that. But something I was going to say is there's, there's this politically culture, politically correct culture that just consumes us so much to where we won't even talk about ourselves. And that's why we're Sunday only people because we're so dang paralyzed and you've got different different inspired people that get up and say, Hey guys, we can't be a Sunday only people. Even like, you know, I'm a teacher. It, it used to be common and it is legal to have a Bible on your desk or to have a picture right. of Christ on the wall. And like, yeah, I'm not going to shove my religion down your throat, but I'm going to be me. And, um, all my students know that I am a devout Christian and it's not because I get up and say, Hey guys, this is the church I go to. This is this. And, and I'll, I'll be friendly and answer like very basic questions, but I know my job's on the line if I, if I get detailed. So I don't, but they just know like, Oh, that's the teacher that doesn't swear that like, yeah, I get it sometimes. But generally speaking, like that's the, you know, um, there's, uh, but there's what I'm getting at is there's a lot of be it teachers or whatever your profession is, you know, they just won't go there at all. They won't be at all personal or talk about themselves because they're afraid to get in trouble. But we, you know, so it can't be to where we're so afraid that we're paralyzed that, oh, it's, it's illegal to, to be a religious person. Right. You know, let's, let's not have the state religion of atheism. Let's say instead of banning God in school, banning God everywhere, let's say we're going to go ahead and do your Christmas party, do your Hanukkah party, do your, all your different religions you know, allow all the religions to be different, not just have the, the, this atheism going on as the main thing. And, and it's same with states, you know, like if we have all the states that are the same way, there's this big push to make them, you know, every law has to be a federal law. So everybody has to do it, you know, the abortion. Why are they so upset if you've still got states that can, you can go do your abortion in? Right. But let, let us have our freedom to, to be our own people. And run away to some state of refuge or, you know, so these, it's hypocritical because a lot of the social justice warriors and stuff, they'll say, if you bring up like, 
hey, man, I know you're in the Black Lives Matter thing, but what about All Lives Matter? And they specifically say that's not enough and that's not representing an understanding of what's going on. Uh, it has to be Black Lives Matter or it has to be you know, this specific thing. They, they're not satisfied with equality for everyone. They want something else. So, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I, had, I, had, I just had a comment. Um, you also have to be very um, quick, I guess, to raise a peculiar people in your own home. Because the older your kids get, the more they're going to want to be just like everybody else. Right. And if they're not trained on, hey, we do this because this, and people out there are going to say this, and you have to be willing to say this, or you are going to face this, and this is what you do to combat this, they're going to immediately think that you're an idiot. <laughs> right? <laughs> like, my parents are just insane because everybody else out there functions this way. And yeah. We are different than everybody else, but we're different for a reason. And if you train them from as young as you can, I mean, some of our kids, we got seven um, plus years old, right? So you can only train somewhat right. at that point after they've been in foster care and received other education <laughs> otherwise. But still, if you come in as early as you can and you train them that this is the way we do it because this is the way God wants us to do it, and we invite you to embrace all kinds of people. We're not saying you have to shun other people. Far from it. That's not our religion, right? But we're asking that if you get in this situation in which you feel like the Holy Ghost couldn't be there, you need to leave, you know? And that is perfectly acceptable, and that's okay to be peculiar in that way. Right. No, that's that's great stuff. And, and look, if your kids ever give you guys grief for being weird, send them to my place for a little while. You know, let, let, them, let them check out the Mormon fundamentalists. They'll be running back to you like, <laughs> you guys are so cool. No, we, but, we love being, we love having, we look for weird friends as much as we can. Mm -hmm. we're, we're actually excited to go to um, Joshua Erickson's for the uh, Rosh Hashanah thing later. We went to one of his things earlier, and it's just a really cool group of people that do these biblical holiday yeah, celebrations. Jo so, Joshua's great people. Yeah. Him, him and his whole family are. Um, Nate, I got, excuse me, <coughs> I got a question for you. Um, you're, you're in kind of the belly of the beast, right? In, in your work. You have to see everything. You have to go to all those trainings, that sort of stuff. What's going on in public education that's churning kids out the way they are now? How, how old are you? If, if you let me ask I just turned 31. Okay. I'm going to give you an example. When I was a kid growing up, and, and again, small town, western Idaho, we would, uh, we would take our shotguns to school with us, right? We would go play football, right? We, we would go to football practice. We'd get done at football practice. And uh, for anyone who's familiar with western Idaho, I'm sure you'll get the reference here. But then we'd say, let's head out to Okuda's farm and let's go blast the ducks. So, yeah, nobody knows what a shotgun is anymore. But my, my point is, is that for years, kids were taking rifles and shotguns to school, and there was never an issue. That's good, and then man. somewhere in nineteen late 90s, we started seeing school shootings. Now, I'm not 
asking you to to diagnose that specific problem, but we have seen exponentially a growth in issues yeah. within public education. From your estimate, what do you think is going on there that's contributing to that? It's got to be how we're not a Christian nation anymore. You know, like in the scripture it says these people believed in this unknown God, right? Was it Paul or someone's preaching to right. And these, the curriculums and all this are the route. I get to be a fly on the wall sometimes when the kids are doing therapy sessions, you know, like a group therapy session in my classroom or something. And this therapist will just sit there and spew all this random nonsense. It's like, where do you get this stuff? Well, it's random YouTube videos. And the point is, is this is not like a, you know, ideally you've got authorized priesthood leadership that's giving revelation on, on how to, you know, so without a Christian society, we don't have a family based society. And that's, you know, the whole, the whole point of, of Christian living basically is to have you be a family person in my opinion. Right. You gotta, so, so nobody had, there's, there's nobody cares about Christianity and family. And it's like, so we're just wandering around blind. It's like, how are we going to get anything right? It's a wonder that we're still a nation at all. It's right. a that we still have any coherence. So let me ask you this. Having looked at the problems intimately, do you think that public education can be saved as it is right now? So we, we're doing everything in our power to keep our kids out of public school. We're, we're going to head there in just a yeah. second. But this, I, I wanted to dive into this a little bit. Do you see it being able to be fixed, Megan? I'm going to answer that for you. Okay. And my answer to that is no, because I look at the curriculums that I use and the curriculums I specifically choose not to use that I know that the public schools near us do use. And part of the problem is, just like Hannah said on your podcast a while back, we're altering history. Mm-hmm. And when you alter history, you alter everything else and and unless you go back and you change the history and the science and the um sex ed for lack of a better word you change all of it you're doing a complete rewrite of every curriculum that is in that school and the odds that that's ever going to happen are pretty near zilch And so, unless you do an overhaul of everything they're teaching those kids, I don't think you can. Because it comes down to, I mean, the fact of the matter is, there's no such thing as a even-kilter curriculum. It's either teaching good things or it's teaching bad things. We have this mindset that we can just be neutral. And it's not really true. Um, and so perfectly God-fearing people think that they are teaching in the public schools neutral curriculum. And they don't realize where some of that curriculum has come from. They don't realize the changes that have happened to get to where they are in that curriculum. And without going back, I mean, Saxon math used to be taught in public schools. And it's a perfectly dry math curriculum, but it's a God-fearing math curriculum. Uh, some of this Common Core stuff 
has all sorts of roots in all of these people that... Postmodernism. Yes, very much so. And without overhauling all of it, which I think is impossible at this point, you can't save it. So, one of the things that frustrated me, uh, and, excuse me, <coughs> again, as a dad, was this idea that uh, that they would teach my kids what to, what to think, not how to think. Yes, right? very much so. Drove me nuts, right? And as a guy who is big on the early, found, you know, the, the founding fathers of the United States, so much so, I moved my family back east so I could be in the middle of it. When my kids started coming home and saying, you know, Dad, really, I don't know why we have a picture of Washington in our living room. He was nothing but a rich white slave owner. Uh-huh. Right? right. And I was like, who, who the hell told you that? <laughs> I was like, slow your roll. We're, we need to have a chit, chit-chat, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, so these they're, they're told what to think, not how to think. Now, I'm a guy that likes truth, right? Even if it's uncomfortable, yes. I want the truth, yes. right? And and I, I don't think the truth has an agenda. The truth is because it's true, yeah, right? And so my, my biggest gripe has been um, when, you know, don't, don't tell them what to think. Teach them how to think. Teach them how to argue a position both for and against, right? And uh, they... Uh, they inevitably just couldn't do it. So we ended up jerking our kids out of school, right? We're not homeschool traditional. We do online stuff with our, the, the two that we have left. But the kind of conversations that we're having now are vastly different than the kind of conversations that we were having when um, they were in public school. At what point, as you guys as parents, did you make the decision Okay, we're going to jerk our kids out of school. We're going to do this ourselves. So, so before we do that, I just want to say there's, I'd say there's two sides to why the public school is broken. Number one is what Megan said. The curriculum is whack and it's lies. Number two is the behavior uh, is out of control. These teachers are not allowed to discipline their kids. A teacher is looked down on if they have to kick a kid out of their class. Like, oh, that teacher can't handle their class. No, it's that teacher needs a raise because that teacher is actually holding their kids accountable to some decency. So the kids are going to school. I can I can maybe reteach, you know, hey, no, Washington was a good guy. You know, and it's like you can't do in one hour during dinner in the evening what they do six hours a day to your kid. You can't, you can't undo six hours in one hour. So it's inherently you can't do it. But the thing that I think is even harder to undo is the behavior. My kid's going to go to yeah. school and he's going to learn from his buddies it's cool to be the thug life, and it's cool to be anti-Christian and anti-family, and it's cool to be, you know, all these other sketchy things that, and you know, and that is extremely difficult to untrain a kid once he's learned those permissive behaviors. Right. No, that's that's a good point. So, at what point did you guys decide that you wanted to homeschool? Right, because that's a big decision, right? It I is. Know, I know it was for me and my wife, and and. I'll tell you how I got to my decision. I always said, no, let's not homeschool the kids because I don't want them because I don't want them to be weird. And then all of a sudden I found myself saying, let's homeschool the kids so they won't be weird. Right? Let's let's keep them closer to home. What what was it about homeschooling that attracted you guys to that? 
Um, well, I think part of it's what Nate said. We had kids coming home from the public school that we were having to untrain in the evenings. And we're like, oh my gosh, we spend all of our time untraining um, what they <laughs> just were taught in school. And we want to spend our evenings, you know, playing games, watching movies, going on outings, doing fun things, not just untraining them from everything. Um, and Or even doing insane amounts of homework, you know, in the evenings. It was like, we want to have part of our day for us and not just be school, 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 all, all the way, all the time. Another thing was my son, who is currently in fourth grade, was in preschool at the time. And um, he has some special needs. And the teacher at the time had a really hard time with that. Um, and I felt like, you know what? I can teach my kids spelling while he's jumping on the tramp for each letter. That's fine. I feel confident that I can do that. And he doesn't have to be told all the time that he's a bad kid because he can't grasp these concepts because he can't sit still in the classroom. Um, so part of it was meeting our kids where they were at with the special needs that they had. And part of it was that... I wanted to be able to teach them from the beginning uh, from a Christian basis. And every year I search for curriculum. Some of it we use the same brand of curriculum, you know, that we used the year before. Some of it we find we find new things. But I try to, with my time, teach every single subject through a Christian lens. because. That's completely different from what they'd be getting at the public school. And yet, God should be the center of our lives. Right. And so, I never imagined myself <laughs> homeschooling. <laughs> that wasn't ever something that I felt like was going to be in the cards for right. us. Um, my mom and my sister are both public school teachers. Nate has a sister that's a public school teacher. Um, we totally, you know, love and support our public school teacher, friends and family, he's a private school teacher, you know, but we felt like for the good of our family, it was necessary to teach them from a God-centered basis. Did you guys get pushback from your friends and family when you said you were in your own school? Yeah. I, of course. <laughs> we lived in a, well, yeah, I had a, let's just say a certain ecclesiastical person of a, a certain amount of authority when we were we found out that we were homeschooling this is, we live in a small town that um the school was like the center of the town you know and i yeah this is what we do you know he's like oh that's too bad you know just really downplayed it and like uh okay <laughs> Yeah. That's too yeah. bad. We were yeah. like, um, yeah. we don't so, feel that way, anyway. but okay. And, and he wasn't like <laughs> acting as in an official position of denouncing us or anything. It's just, it's, people think it's so bizarre. And like, if you're homeschooling your kids, they're going to turn out to be extremely antisocial, uneducated, and just, you're, you're losing them all these opportunities they could have in their life. But it's really this, we're, you know, President Trump, talks about how like oh we're gonna be socialists if we're not careful but it's like we're already pretty much socialists. Right. it's like we don't even comprehend that there's an alternate way to do things you know other than the socialist ways and so we're kind of 
The city outcast. We're the only people in our town that homeschooled. Well, for a in while. This, in this, a couple other people picked it up eventually. Yeah, we. I guess that is. <laughs> that um, is anyway, true. we're we're in a little bigger town now, and we've got some really blessed with a neighbor that does it and stuff. But but no, I've I I I got reading like probably Jack Monet or something, one of these, and and Joel Skousen. I would go to his lectures and listen to his weekly briefing and. He's just talking about how, like, how are your kids going to learn to listen to their conscience if they're getting all this fire hose from, from the state? And uh, so I I'd, I'd brought up the idea to Megan. I'm like, hey, this would be a really great thing for, you know, I think we'd have a lot more success winning our kids over to God and, and to us and to all this good things and to loving education, not just... Megan learned a lot in school. She's, like, really smart. I just had fun in school. And, you know, so it's a sacrifice on, you know, it's not that homeschool's like the best thing ever. Cause I'm sure if there's like, if there's a decent school that has God fearing teachers, that has boundaries, like the community is a strong community that they're not gonna, you know, I have nothing against that. Maybe with like older kids, I think elementary kids especially benefit from homeschooling for the extra bonding they get with their parents. But, but so I was, I was kind of prodding Megan in that direction. After I heard that concept introduced to me, she's like, eh, that's kind of crazy. But eventually, she just came to me one day, and she's like, Nate, I don't know why I've been resisting this long. This is what we need to do. And I was like, whoa, are you sure about that? Because she's the main you know, one that heads it on while I'm at work. Right. So I, I let her kind of take the reins on whether yep. or not we wanted to get into it. And anyway. You had a section. You sent me some notes. And you had a section... <coughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know what's wrong with my voice. It's okay. Um, you had a section in there called "How to Teach," and and the reason yeah. I want to go there is because as I've talked to other people about homeschooling, where where they've came and they've said, you know, gosh, I'd love to get my kids out of public education, but people have been conditioned to think unless you are a professional educator, you can't do this, Absolutely. right? And so that section there where it says how to teach caught my eye. Because for you, I'm guessing it was probably a little easier because you're a professional teacher, right? That's that's what you are by trade. So, yeah, that, that probably wasn't as big of a deal for you. You know, can I be a teacher, so to speak, as it is for, say, somebody who's yeah not ever done it. Yeah. So I wanted to explore that. How do you guys teach? So Megan and I both have or two cents on this, but my thing that I'm really passionate about is you get the kid reading and you let him read. It's that simple. When you boil it all down, it's get the kid reading. Advise them good books to read. And, you know, you can discuss that, have them write about it, you know, all this. But the heart of it is have them read good books for heaven's sakes, because you know, they'll go to the public school and what's in that library at the public school? It's at least three quarters fiction, fantasy, nonsense. And that's what these kids are reading day in and out, if anything. So, and you'll get kids who will say, you know, um, I never read a book till I graduated high school. And what do you do when you get into, if you're any, if you're ever going to get into a rigorous training, like a college or something, not that all college is rigorous, but if you're ever going to take learning seriously, you need to know how to read a book and get right. your own information. And I remember uh, Jack Monet tells this story about how there's this kid who 
took a college chemistry class. He was homeschooled. Didn't know a dang thing about chemistry. but And he noticed that. Oh, all these other people know this. I don't know a dang thing. So he goes home. He reads the book. And he shows up and he gets an A in the class. And he's it's a piece of cake. And the professor's like, what happened? Because you didn't know a dang thing. He's like, oh, I just read the book. Like, what do you mean you just read the book? Yeah, this kid knows how to read a book and harvest information out of it. It's this novel idea. And, and that's another thing is the homeschool parents, you don't have to kill yourself over dead, you know. Um, so that's one of the big one of the big things is get them reading and, and point them in the direction of, hey, this book, like, is not – this book's kind of trash. Like, how about this book? It's still fun. It's still interesting. But it's actually going to teach you some history or it's actually going to – the character actually keeps the law of chastity, you know. <laughs> Not yeah. <laughs> I also think, um, obviously, as Nate said, I'm the one that does a lot of the teaching during the day um, to my kids. And a lot of the stuff, to be perfectly honest with you, I didn't learn in school. I was valedictorian, but I didn't learn a lot of stuff in school <clears throat> because I followed the curriculum of the school. <laughs> And so some of the things that I'm teaching my kids are things that I didn't learn until it was time to teach them to my kids. The beauty of homeschooling is that you get to learn them right along with them. And that's bonding as well. Um, so when I let them know that I'm studying Galileo and Copernicus and Thomas More, um, this semester we're working on Renaissance Minds is um, my main theme, I guess, for our semester this year. And so... I'm studying these people right along with them because Galileo was like, you know, this paragraph in my science book once upon a time. Um, and goodness knows, Thomas More is like, nobody even knows who the heck he is. Um, so it's these things that our kids need to know that we didn't learn as parents, that we have to go back and learn with the children. I'm not talking about learning common core math with the children. I don't do that. I, <laughs> but I'm, I'm talking about as you follow their interests, and there's nobody better to follow your children's interests than you. Because a teacher of 30 kids can't follow the rabbit trails that your son wants to do. You can. And I can look and I can say, okay, my son really thrives with hands-on science projects. I am going to carve out this much of my time to do hands-on science projects with my kid every other day. Um, they can't do that outside of the public school. They don't know what he's interested in. Even if they do know what he is interested in, they can't always tailor what they do to that one child. They have to tailor it to everybody in the classroom, which is not tailoring it at all, right? And so how to teach really is, well, are you bonded with your child? Are you trying to learn along with your child? Because if those two are true, your child is receiving an amazing education. Whether you got a college degree or not, whether you graduated high school or not, you don't have to, frankly. You need to learn and teach them how to learn. That's how you teach. Right. And they're going to have more time and space at home to curl up in the corner without 50 girls distracting them. And read a book, yep. you know, and like my Megan, Megan was saying, you know, you cater it to them, you know, we can spend a bulk of our time on this topic because it's your favorite topic, this subject, mm 
mm-hmm. which you can't do in the, in a traditional school. And and I've you know I'll say school is not a uh, it's not a place to learn stuff. It's a it's a it's a dating fishbowl, or it's a you know it's it's just you go there. They don't do their makeup every day in Germany and all this. Like in in America, we're we're like these rock stars every day, and like we're not there to learn anything. We're there to you know fashion show and to screw around, and and it's really hard to focus on actually learning something when you're just under the constant barrage of peer pressure. And so at home, you're gonna you're gonna bond with your parents. You're gonna you know, and it doesn't have to be complicated, you know. So. Well, let me ask you this: one of the the major um, critiques of homeschooling that we all hear is that, hey, your kids are going to be weird because they're not going to get any social interaction. How have you guys dealt with that? So that's one of my favorite things. And um, there's this group called the National Homeschool uh, Research Institute, and they, they run the statistics, and it's not statistically correct to say that a homeschooled kid is going to be more of a goofball. And we've all known the goofball homeschool kid, but um, that's that's not to say that that's the the statistics. Um, so there's a couple of ways that I want my kid to be normal and s- stuff, and there's other ways that I don't want him to be normal. And it, um, one of the really important things is having other kids when possible. So when you have a large sibling group, man, you're getting so much socialization. You're constantly out punching each other and crying together and forgiving each other and getting in trouble together and getting punished together. And you're doing, you're going all through. It's not just during school when, okay, everybody sit in your desk and like, okay, I'll go slough a class every blue moon so I can have some time with my friends. But it's the, the sibling group. If a family can have a bunch of kids, you know, a handful of kids. That's the ideal laboratory for socializing a kid to make them normal, you know, and, and a lot of the, you know, in public school, you'll segregate into grades and it's, oh, don't talk to the eighth graders because they're like, they're eighth graders. They're way above me or they're way below me. Um, and, uh, when you're, when you're schooled at home, you're working more directly with adults. You're with, with at least an adult. And so you're going to, be more apt to look an adult in the eye and shake someone's hand. And, and, and that's the other thing is if you're, again, it's the blind leading the blind, the adult to child ratio at a public school, you know, is pretty bad, right? It's like 40 kids in a class. Now, most families don't have 40 kids. You know, if they do, they've got a couple (laughs) sisters to help out. Right. 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 Um, but, uh, um. Yeah, I was trying to thought, but that there's certain things we do want them to, you know, get. Uh, and our our kids are really are really sweet kids, and you know, a lot of times you learn those negative things like, uh, you know, there's there's negative things you learn and positive things, and you can, especially when you have some siblings to bounce off of, you know to socialize these kids it'll, it'll work out well and you can you can expose them to you know hey we're gonna watch a movie on 
you know, Gandhi or we're going to, you know. So, yeah, that's a, that's an important one. Do you have anything to Yeah. Um, I would say we worry a lot about socialization, but we don't worry enough about the type of socialization, in my opinion. So I can tell my kids to go play with a group of friends um, their age, and they usually come home, and there's more of an air of disrespect, um, and there's more of a tendency to use biting sarcasm and things like this that the kids use all over the place today. Um, if I just go, go off and play. Um, if I know the parents of the kids that these guys are playing with, if we're going to homeschool groups, which we do, um, or we're going to museums or things like this, which we also do, um, controlled socialization, I guess. Um, they're actually learning how to act like dignified women and decent gentlemen instead of just how people in our society their age act. And frankly, you can tell me that my kid needs to be banging and acting cool all you want as a form of socialization, but I'm not going to believe you because I feel like my kids need to act appropriately. And they need to be kind to other people. <laughs> well, that's and that's not always yeah. the typical socialization. <laughs> sure. That socially awkward feeling that you get a lot of times is your conscience, actually. <laughs> telling you that's stupid. You don't have to do that. You know, if there's a bunch of people jumping around like primates at a dance, like, you don't feel comfortable with that. And they're like, oh, come on. This, yeah. This is actually stupid and I'm not going to do it. And that's okay. You know? And obviously there's... That's another thing is we can, you know, there's there's a lot of cool groups that do neat things. Like, this is an actual dance. You know, the lights are going to be on, and the music is going to be decent, and you're going to respect each other, and you're going to be chauffeured and all this. Yeah. Explain to me homeschooling groups. What is that? Um, Groups of parents that believe <laughs> similarly have different philosophies in homeschooling, live in the same geographical area um, that we will get together with, and uh, sometimes we'll just get together at a park, and the parents will talk while the kids play at the park. Um, sometimes we'll do more structured activities, more of like field trips, where we actually, um, like I organized one recently, we took the kids to Young Living Farm, um, and they got to learn about how to distill essential oils and stuff like that, you know, so... Sometimes we'll do more structured activities, and sometimes it's just hanging out. But it's with other homeschool families, I guess, that we've right. discovered in the area to socialize with. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'd say most, I'd say most, uh, well, I don't know. I, I think social reasons, like we said, there's the academic side and there's the social side to public life and education. And I'd almost wager that most homeschoolers do it for the predominantly the social side. You know, they want to give their kids a cutting edge education, but even more than that, they want to 
They want to protect their kids, and they want to give them a proper socialization. Right. Yeah. So it's really neat to find these little, basically underground communities <laughs> that, you know. Yeah. Um, Almost like a counterculture. Oh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, so, yeah, there's, there's a lot of good things that happen there. And, and there's some things that, you know, there's some popular things in the homeschool world that, that are not as good. You know, there's, yeah. There's a, there's a little, sometimes there's, yeah, some leanings to, you know, more fantasy reading or, I'm not saying don't have fun and read a fun book now and then, but some of the, some of the like nerdy, nerdy stuff we try to tone down on. And so, but, uh, but by and large, the people that I've met at homeschool groups are really high caliber people that I feel confident letting my kids be socialized around them. And we'll kind of, you know, if the kid's at public school all day, do you know who they're hanging out with? No. no and you have especially no idea. like, you have no idea. And, um, and are they going to tell you the truth about it? Like, especially in, if you're a conservative religious family, which is a minority group and your kid goes to school and most kids have insecurities, they're not just going to come home and say, yeah, I did this. No, they're going to lie about it because they want to save face. I know, sure. you know, and you, really quick, you get a double life. Yeah. You get your school persona and your home persona. And that is really unhealthy, you know, for your spirit and and everything else. So so what, what are your guys' plans as far as your kids in college? Right? I mean, because we can shelter them all we want, K through 12, yeah. right? But when they go off to college, that's a different ball of wax, right? I think we're particularly responsible for our children when they're living in our home. By then, if they want to go and, you know, go off the deep end, like, maybe that's what they need to do in life. Who knows? (laughs) But we're going to do our darndest to to shepherd them and keep them from the wolves and, you know, only expose them to situations where we're confident they would thrive or, you know. So it's, it's our... It's not as much our stewardship anymore once they're adults. And and with how immature a kid is, it's like kids were never supposed to be, you know, first off, kids are supposed to raise be raised in religious communities, which is just not a thing of the 21st century. Uh, maybe, like, I've told my wife, we need to, like, go to those Amish communities and see if they'll let us move in. She's like, nah, that you're a, you're a heretic with the Book of Mormon. They're not going to let you in. But anyway... That's, uh, yeah. So, one of the things that we do with our kids that we've liked a lot was, uh, because they do school online. Yeah. That frees them up to have some different opportunities that a lot of other kids wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. One is working. Yes. My kids almost have an advantage over a lot of other kids because since it is online, they can do school whenever they want, right? Yes. So my kids have gotten a couple of really cool jobs and a really cool opportunities, you know, blacksmithing or, or, you know, just to name one, where he could go and do because he can do school when he gets home. Right? Yes. I mean, so he has that. Have you guys had any, seen any of that as far as an advantage, you know? I don't know how old your kids well, are. Well, yeah, our oldest is 13, so we okay. haven't quite gotten to that yet. Um, but I do love, um, we've got kids in dance and karate and piano and things like that, that, um, 
we find that it's much easier to do when, when everything's flexible and you can do things whenever. Um, but also I just wanted to go back to your previous thought for a second. Um, so Nate and I were both raised, um, in the Church of Jesus Christ. He went to BYU. I went to Westminster, which, if you know a lot about Westminster, it's the one that was like recently in the news for having a pornography course and all that say, jazz. Like, well, they were founded as an anti-Mormon college. <laughs> the whole so college whole- was founded to combat Mormonism. Um, so I'm not going to say that my child has to go to a school or a church-sponsored school because I feel like I thrived having to be the one to stand up for my beliefs. Um, now, I'm not necessarily going to recommend my child go to Westminster either. I don't necessarily believe in everything that they teach, right? And I don't necessarily feel like it's the best environment for a kid to be in. I felt like I was very led there by the Spirit, and I would hope that I have taught, as you've referenced before, my children how to think and how to be in tune with the Spirit. And if they know how to think for themselves and how to follow the guidance of the Holy Ghost, I think they'll end up exactly where they need to be. If they ignore either of those things, I can't speak for it. Gotcha. Gotcha. A kid, his brain is not to where, I don't think God intended kids to have to make all these complex decisions we throw them into in in today's society. You know? Explain complex decisions. Like... You have a social media account with 200 friends and you've got all these different things that all these different kids are doing and all these different, uh, this kid's active in the religious community. This, this kid's, this kid could care less. This, you know, and so they're having to negotiate all these different social dynamics and, you know, it's like, do we really expect them to thrive in that situation? I, I find social media while it certainly helps me, especially with this podcast, and and I'm not, I'm not going to say it doesn't have a time and a place. What I will say is that it is completely an ineffective way to communicate with people because it, we're just not designed to do that, right? We're designed to talk like this, where I can see your yeah. face, you can see my face, we can pick up social cues, and we can make decisions based off of that, right? And so with social media, a lot of times what I what personally what I think is that you get to hide behind your handle or whatever it is and you can say a lot of stupid crap. But you don't get the full effect of what it is you're saying because you don't see the hurt on somebody's face. Now I, I will say this, I think we don't give our kids enough credit sometimes or expect enough out of them, right? If we look back in in just the revolutionary period, right? George Washington, is sixteen year old, sixteen years old, is voted as Fairfax County surveyor, right? right? And so he's mm-hmm. out there leading men into the frontier. Um, often, I thought that that one of the reasons our kids are suffering as much as they are now is because we haven't expected enough from them. Yeah, and I'll say when it comes to expecting high expectations of young people, that is definitely an idea lost to our society. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm under 18. My job in life is to 
show up to school, and then vegetate in the evenings and weekends. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, and, and the thing is, is they still have that, they're children of God who want to do something with their life. And it goes the wrong way. And basically, my one of my things I say is, if you have a kid with a cell phone, that kid is dating. Whether they'll admit it or not, whether they, you know, they, especially if they have social media or internet access, that kid is dating. Now, and they're, so they're going to want to date, you know, around that age. And so they're going to try to do it, but they're not telling their parents about what's going on. They're not, you know, asking permission to see this person. They're not, uh, getting, you know, their parents advice on this person. There's not two families meeting each other and, Hey, I recommend this relationship as you know, like the parent involved. And so I think one of the reasons that we have so much teenage delinquency is that, you know, this is how you be a part of this community and we just don't have community anymore. I, I think I think that's a big part of it. I think the idea of community has changed a lot over the years. And the idea of community that we have now is, okay, we have this town with a whole bunch of houses really close together that have the same government leader, and so we have a community. But how many of us actually know, like, ten people that live within a half mile of us? And like, most know, of us don't know all of our neighbors. We don't. Um, it's because we don't care. Why would we care to? As Christians, it's one of our duties to go and meet our neighbors. Like most people could care less because their philosophies on life are completely different. And so real community is when you have a group of people who have similar philosophy on life. Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> but I think the whole idea, I mean, the Mormons left the United States to right. create community. A group of like-minded people who were practicing what they believed together. And we don't see that. Even if you're, the church has wards or branches or whatever, it's still not the same level of community because it's not on every front. It's not your church and your school and your government are all these like-minded people anymore. You know, I remember um, <clears throat> there were a few times when I was in the LDS church that I felt like um, my ward or uh, my the people I went to church with were really my community. One is where I joined the LDS church at, out in western Idaho. Great farming, little farming community, right? But it was small, so everyone knew who everyone was. The other is when we moved back east. Because once you cross the Mississippi, Mormons get a little scarce, right? I mean, yeah. there's just not as many out there. I remember when we were in Maryland, we had greater um, distances between members. But, man, when there was a ward function, we were all there. Because we uh, we, we understood we, we had to have each other's backs. Yeah. Right? We were it. So, I... I, I agree totally with you that, that we don't have that same society anymore, right? That same idea of community. We have a little bit of it. Like when we moved into our house we are right now, 
There was an anthill of elders to help us. <laughs> there's a lot and of that people was that to help us. <laughs> and it was amazing. But, you know, other than like the few really rudimentary things like we're going to help each other move or we're not going to have alcohol at, at our group parties or, you know, not that that's like the worst crime in the book either, but um, it's something that we subscribe to because it's our community. It's like, okay, you want us as a community not to not to use alcohol? All right, fine. No, I... There's temporary policies that it's okay to. I'll sa- I'll sacrifice that one for the sake of community. But uh, but other than these like really basic things, like it's really hard to find this. Even in even in your church and all this, it's hard to find people who have similar views, other than the very very basics. So how do you guys? How, how do you suggest you foster? That community, then, right? Because that's something that that I think we we all desire at at some level, right? And um, fundamentalist Mormons are are pretty fractionalized, right? Yeah, you're either independent or you're maybe part of a group, and you don't associate with people from another group. Um, I've seen that before. How is it then? And and you can really see it in the LDS Church because. The, the type of members you might get in an LDS ward are going to range dramatically, right? Like, we moved around enough. Very liberal. Or very yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, we moved around enough where I could always spot the the same people in different bodies, so to speak, yeah. right? Yeah. There's the liberal Mormons. There's the super conservative Mormons. There's, you know, that guy who bore his testimony last month that will bore it, bear it again next <laughs> month, right? The STPs, the same 10 people. Right, nice. so so they all have those those certain personalities. So it may be just as hard to form that that level of community even within the LDS Church mm-hmm. as it is for anybody else. So how have you guys done? I'll I'll just say the homeschool groups have been a really big revelation for us, and I, you kind of get lucky. How, so? how, how have they been well, a revelation? It's like I said, it's it's an underground. Secret operation, basically. It's right. a revolution. It's something that exists that hardly anybody knows about, but it does exist. There's this group of people, and I'm not saying people who go to public school don't care about this and that, and that they're not amazing people. Like I said earlier, it's not in the cards for everybody. But um, another thing that's really cool that we've stumbled on is back a couple of years ago, we found the, the Stoddards and the... Um, all the cool stuff they do. They're raising the bar groups of it's this group of handful of people who, you know, who they want to have high dress standards. They want to have high standards in general. They actually care. You know, it's, and it's not just them, but it, there's this really cool, you know, and they have, I think we found it through Facebook or something like some, you know, but these every now and then there's, uh, with with technology today, we can find groups of people that like you live here and I live there, and we'll get together and do something every now and then. And hey, maybe like my kid's gonna make friends with your kids, and you know, from from such children come other children, right? It says fiddler on the roof. But uh, they've they've been a really inspiring group for us. That uh, you know, just a group of people that is not just there because they have to be. It's a volunteer. You know, church religion itself is voluntary. Did you get what I mean? Like, 
if you stop going to, you know, your church meetings, where it's a huge stigma, and it's a huge thing that, you know, that like a lot of people have a testimony that they need to go to some kind of church, and so they'll do it. But that's about where it ends. And uh, yeah, so there's these little groups. I would also say, um, a lot of the groups that we have quote unquote found. Um, are groups that we made or we followed interest and intuition, um, to insert ourselves into. So, um, I mean, like Russ Barlow, um, is into homeschooling as well. And when, like Nate said, once we got into the Stoddard's work, that opens this whole Pandora's Fun. box, right? Of all these yeah. cool little people that go to things like <coughs> Book of Mormon evidence conferences and things like that. And we take our kids. Um, we take our kids to those conferences. The kids that are old enough to understand what's going on, we say, come to the lectures with us. Um, and we take them out to Dean's house. Um, Dean Sessions writes the Universal Model mm-hmm. Science. Yeah. Um, and so... You involve your entire family in in these things, and people get to know you and your family, you know? And I think that's how it should be. Nate mentioned that we believe the same thing with dating. We're not trying to have our 13-year-old date yet, but we do discuss, like, when you date, we want to know the family of the people that you are trying to go on a date with. We don't want you to just pick some random boy and go on a date. Like, we will take the family over to that family's house and get to know them. And I think as you insert your entire family into these things, then you find groups of people that are willing to do the same thing. Um, I had a real problem in our last ward with the way that they did ministering because I told them, you know what? Nate is gone a lot of the day, um, and when he comes home, um, we often have family things that we need to be involved in, and so I would like to minister to people who are willing to have my children over when I come over, um, and they're kind of like, oh, well, we don't really do that, and I was like, okay, most of the people in this ward are, like, older, for one. <laughs> like, you don't have anywhere that you have to be a lot of the time. Like, maybe you have doctor's appointments and things like that. But is it really that hard to find one or two people that I can take my kids over and talk to? I really struggled with the fact that it was that hard for them to find somebody that I could take my children with to go say hello, to go... Because I feel like my children should be learning from the older generation. And I should be taking them... To hear stories of their grandchildren and stories of when they were little, maybe to bake bread or cookies with them, so that they can have a different perspective than what I can give them. And, and the, ultimately, there is no group that's going to do things the way that your family will. So your family is the quintessential group. And that's why I'm such a big advocate of trying to have a large sibling group, which is often not in the cards because of health reasons or whatever. It's hard. And then there's the social stigma of, uh, you know, of that makes it psychologically for us. We just can't fathom having a big family, uh, us as in, you know, our culture. But uh, I'm, I'm sure that's going to tie into your 
No, we're going to talk about total marriage and how it can help do that too. Is you create your own little army, you know, and that's that's the you can't rely on any group, you know. And I'm I'm very big on. <laughs> You can accomplish about as much as you set your mind to. Now, I'll admit that I have high-functioning anxiety, and I probably bite off more than I should sometimes. But the fact of the matter is, we have ten children, um, eight of whom, at least, <laughs> have special needs. And as a person who has a genetic illness myself. I have cystic fibrosis. Um, I had to have my own accommodations <laughs> going all through school. And I was frequently hospitalized. Even when we started foster parenting, we were like going through the trainings, counting up the respite days, like, okay, how many respite days do we get so that I could go take my two weeks in the hospital um, and you'd still be okay, Nate? Um, if you couldn't get all the time off work, or if you have so many days built up off work, do we have enough respite days that we can make that work that I could go inpatient and get my IV therapies? Like, I am not the, I'm going to climb Mount Everest girl here, and I am at home teaching multiple special needs children every day. So you don't have to be like this amazing, I have everything put together, I have a ton of money and great health person, because that's not us. At all. <laughs> that, that's a really quick thing that has to do with that, is you're not gonna you know, this, this you're not gonna screw up your kids if you if you school them on your own. Um, I remember my mom, my mom's someone I look up to a lot. She was one in a family of 13. I'm, I'm her youngest of eight. And she's just this really diehard, she loves the Lord kind of person. And she loves her family. And uh, she would sometimes get pulled out of school as a kid to come help her little siblings because she was one of the oldest. And her mother would tell her, you know what? You might miss one or two days at school here and there to help the family, but I'd rather you have an educated heart than, you know, an Ivy League training or whatever. Right. So. Right. That's that's super fascinating, Nate. Now, the one thing you you mentioned here just a few minutes ago that that really caught my attention was this this idea of encouraging people to have bigger families. Absolutely. And and that's weird in today's society. And I'm going to share a quick story with you of when uh, we were adopting our twins. Um, we had six kids. Now, in Utah, even still today, that's not unheard of. And, and you know, I won't, wouldn't say it's normal, but it's, it's not. It's very big. It's not out of the norm, norm, right, in Utah. But we were in Idaho. And I remember I had taken my family out for dinner, which was me, my wife, our four kids, and then the twins that we were adopting. Now, the twins were on some oxygen and stuff. So it was it was a little bit of packing, right? It was a little bit of, you know, packing them in and out. Yeah. And I'm not proud of how I responded. I, I could have done a better job. But I remember that um as we were going in, another guy and a couple of his buddies were going out. And he made the remark of that's just irresponsible. Yeah. 
And I grabbed him, and I I was a little forceful, and I said, "You don't know me. Shut. You you don't know me. Shut your shut your piebald. You don't know me, right? How do you how do you encourage that in the society we live in now? We're used to always having to, you know, people will see our family and they say, "Oh, I can never do that. Your hands are full." It's like it's okay. Like any number of children is hard because it is. Once you get into the parenting world, you're done for. Your whole world yeah. is <laughs> yeah. over. Yeah. You know, it's a new time for a whole new philosophy to life. But so so we're kind of used to like, you know, oh, it's just as hard as one, you know, it's this and this. Uh but uh but no, I we wish there was more of a culture of like more people did that and we ourselves like we hope the Lord blesses us with a bigger family than what we have cuz and it's like people will say well, how many dang kids are you going to have? It's like, well, can you count the stars in the sky? It's like, why are you guys so narrow-minded and focused on the immediate, you know? So, why do you feel you. having a big family so important? It's it's the Lord's way, and it's always been the Lord's way. The other way is socialism. The other way is the state has to take care of your family cuz your kids don't know which way's up. They're going to go out and on the block and they're going to hang out with who knows who and and the, these uninvolved families, if you can make your own little clan, they can socialize each other. And I know that's a little bit counterintuitive, but I can bear my testimony to how it does work. Like I've seen my kids, our, when our kids first came in our home, it was constant scr- scratching, biting, like constant stealing, lying. And that's changed in a big, big way. And we still have a ton of problems. But it's not been me and my wife that's been, you know, we harp on them. We do. But... You know, we love them a lot and we harp on them a lot. And you need to do that as a parent. But it's also been, we've given them, their siblings, you know, to help. That It's like the scripture that says, they can't be saved with us and we can't be saved with them. It's like the siblings need each other. You know, <laughs> excuse me, I think you bring up a great point. At some point, parents, our message gets stale. Right, I hate to mm-hmm. say it. If you were to put it in a, in, in a sports term, at some point, you as coaches, you're going to lose the locker room. Right. However, if you have a strong team captain, right? Let's use football. I promise you, at some point, Bill Belichick's message for the Patriots got old. However, when Tom Brady said it, it carried more weight. Why? Because Tom's one of them. Right. Yeah. That's I, interesting. Or you might think of the gospel. You know, Jesus, our brother, is a maybe. That's an interesting thing too. Yeah, when 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 we started to see our twins thrive, and they were horribly sick when we when we first got them. Our son had a hole in his heart. Um, our daughter had a couple feet of intestine that had to be removed. Um, she didn't eat for the first four months of her life. Um, she was fed through a pig line. Um, our son had high blood pressure till he was six. I mean, just um, horrible problems. However, they perked up quicker than all the doctors had said. Yeah. And one of the doctors made the comment. I, I wasn't smart enough to put this together. I'm sure my wife was, but I didn't. He said, one of the reasons I think these kids are starting to thrive now is because they are working hard at trying to keep up with the other four. Absolutely. They're getting more stimulus in every way. And and I found it odd 
that the state event uh, at one point wanted to take the kids away because we already had four kids. And so I think it shows just how upside down our culture is, right? Mm -hmm. And this idea of the, you know, less kids equals better quality parenting. And I don't think that's it whatsoever. So we, we run into this time and time again. Um, so we're trying to raise a good family, obviously. But as I've mentioned before, we also have some needs and we've had therapies and, you know, social workers and all sorts of people through our home. And one of the comments <laughs> that we've gotten before is that we don't have enough quality time to spend with each child because we have 10 children. That's Babylon arithmetic right there. It is. Um, I have a hard time with that um, because although I may not be sitting there playing games for an hour with each child individually, no, I don't have 10 hours in my day to do that. Um, am I, you know, putting laundry away with them? Yes. Am I doing dishes with them? Yes. Are we cooking cooking dinner together? Yes. Are we schooling together? Yes. Are, you know, are we going on family outings together? Yes. No, the irony is she spends more time with her kids than most women. Than most people do. Because right. most people, you know, there's the old joke that you send them to school and that's the baby, that's the, that's the free the babysitter, babysitter yeah. you know? So, no, you have fun together and yeah, when it's, and that's another thing is when I, when two siblings enjoy each other's company, it's the same thing as that person enjoying company with me because it's due to me that they have that sibling. You know, obviously it's due to God, but I, you know, it's like we set up this intentional social system to where you're going to get a ton, a ton, a ton of time with your siblings. I, I'm the youngest of eight, but most of my siblings were grown out of the house by the time I came around and I had my one sibling that I, you know, we didn't, we're kind of opposites. Um, we're kind of like me and my wife. We're kind of opposites. <laughs> but, uh, and so I was a lot of time, I was just trying to get out in the community and find somebody to play with. Cause I was the sports guy and my brother was the video game guy. And I was the, you know, and, uh, it had some negative impacts on my growing up. But if there was like, you know, a handful of kids in my house, I'm sure it would have been a lot easier to have, a more, you know, uh, structured setting. And anyway, there was a, yeah. So I came from a, a biggish family, but I was so far on the tail end and there was this gap and all this to where I kind of, you know, kind of was like a smaller family in some ways too. Sure. How do you think we get back to this idea of bigger families being okay? Go back to the Bible. Right. So, the, the, the first, one of the first things we have in the Bible is Adam and Eve. And what were they commanded to do? They were commanded to multiply and replenish the earth. That commandment has never been rescinded. A lot of people rescind it all the time in their own lives. But God never says, have one child and be comfortable. That's not in the scriptures. He doesn't say, have two children, and when it starts to get difficult, you can be done. 
we have difficult lives, but we're going to keep living the commandments. And yeah, and people will say, you know, okay, it's it's hard enough. It's time to <laughs> time to pull back. And yes and no, you got to be personally responsible for am I able to provide? Am I able to provide their needs temporally, spiritually, emotionally? But a lot of the time doing God's work is where you're swimming. Yeah. You know? We are want to swim in deep waters. That's what we're meant to do. So then there's the other half of it, which is the biblical plural marriage doctrine. Right. And that's a, you know, the Catholics, this Catholic guy, remember there was this little video that played in the temple visitor center. And it was like, there's this thing called holy envy or something like that. We envy these other religions for how they do this better than us. And that's okay. And I would say I have some holy envy for if there's a situation where you're allowed to do what they did in the Bible, you know, and, um, it's, you know, I don't judge anybody. I do what I do because of the way I feel about how things are right now. And, uh, but I, I foresee a day and I hope for a day when, when they're, you know, for one, when the government won't come down quite so hard, because that's like the whole reason the church stopped it in the first place. And, uh, you know, it says you can't build up Zion without the celestial law. And DNC 132 and other places make it very obvious that that's the celestial law. And to, to a lot of us, that's like super weird. And, um, but we do foresee it coming back when maybe it's going to take like a world war to knock us on our knees and maybe to knock the U.S. government on its knees. And, you know, but, uh, me and Megan were talking about this on the way over and she's like, I understand this intellectually and doctrinally, like in my heart, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I was like, that's okay. Like you're not being asked to do that right now by me or by, you know, your conscience or, you know, your leaders and stuff. And like I said, we're, we respect people who have different views than we do. But, uh, I told Megan, if we weren't living the law of tithing right now, you might understand it on a doctrinal level, but it would be hard in your heart to give that. Cause you'd say, I don't know how we'd make it if we had 10% less income. And that's what she said about the, you know, social dynamics with a plural marriage. Cause we know from the outside looking in, we hear about a lot of stories of how it's heavenly and consecrating and it brings you to God and other stories of how people just couldn't get along sometimes. And so she says it in my heart, it would be something that I don't know if I could do. I said, well, with tithing, you know, if we weren't doing that and then we got instruction to do that, we would see now looking back, we're like, how would we survive without tithing? Yeah, we wouldn't. Right. Tithing is like, <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, there's no way. God just constantly helps us financially because we yeah. paid tithing. So anyway, so, so bringing back this big families, and I, I think one of the biggest reasons for that plural marriage is this thing that God favors is because it does encourage big families. And when you have a big family, you can have that community. You build your own. You build your own because there's never going to be a community that, uh, well, there is. We're going to build Zion and it's going to be great. And I'm sure there's some communities out there that I know nothing about that I, my hat's off to them. But, uh, family, you know, it's like, oh, I'm big into religion. I'm big into politics. I'm big into this. But the biggest thing that we need to be into is family. And if I'm not like extremely politically active, 
and I spend most of my efforts with my family, you know, it's to each person, their conscience of where they're called, right? But am I doing something good for my country by focusing on family instead of by focusing on getting someone to vote for somebody? I'd say, heck yeah. That's the exponential way to save the world is to have a family and go big at it. So there's, there's a couple things there. You know, excuse me. One part you said, you know, that, that the best way you can help society right now is by having a bigger family, right? Raising good kids that are going to go out into society and they're going to contribute. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think sometimes we tend to look at, well, this will be my calling forever, right? Mm -hmm. Now, at some point, you're going to become grandparents. So maybe that more politically active route happens later in life, right? Right. Now, there is the, if we want to go (laughs) full-scale doctrine right here, and, you know, you can... When you're an older person, you can continue to, like, let's say she passes menopause, you know, like in God's law, like the full, if that's fully in operation, you can bring another person into your family to continue having that posterity. But I get what you're saying with the different phases of life can do different things. Right. The, The other thing that I would say as well is that as Mormons, we yearn for Zion, right? Yes. We want Zion. Well, what's Zion? It's a godly society. It is. Uh, people who are completely turned to God. And in, in, in doing that, we, we have this complete turning towards each other. What's the basic fundamental building block of any society? Absolutely. It's those kids. It's the family, yeah. right? It's so much easier to convert a kid than to raise up a kid, you know, than to change an adult's mind. Right. It, it's families, yeah. right? It's individuals and it's families. Those are the individual building blocks. I tend to think that that we will have Zion, a Zion society, when we have Zion families. Yeah, you, which yeah. are our larger kids. And that's one of the families. things that Nate and I were talking about on the way here too. I said, you know, plural marriage might be a Zion principle, but if you look at it. <clears throat> It's very merciful that as a church, we are not being asked to live this right now. Because if you look at the divorce rates in monogamous marriages right now, it's really crazy. How many people can't handle one more person? Um, and to be asked to take on two or three or more people in your family just creates a larger dynamic. It's not impossible, especially with God's help, but it's a dynamic of all of these people having to get along with each other. And it's something that (coughs) is a Zion principle because we have to know how to get along with these two before we can get along with these five. And we're not achieving it yet. Right. You know, one of of the things, and, and I think I've said this before on the podcast, was there was a moment when I was living plural marriage where I remember I looked out and I saw, it was so stupid. I was at the grill of all places, right? Which, okay, probably for me, if you look at my waistline, isn't that uncommon for me to have an epiphany at the grill. However, at this one moment, and we lived on acreage when we were in Idaho, I, I remember I looked out and I saw 
uh, Amber and, and my other wife out there, and they were laughing and giggling and probably poking fun at me. And um, all the kids were out there playing. And in that moment, it dawned on me. I hadn't played golf in a year and a half. <laughs> I didn't care. Because <laughs> this is what it was about. So I don't think plural marriage is for everybody, right? Because it's going to put you outside of your comfort zone. You have to become selfless, right? For sure. And you have to be geared to a point at which your family becomes the preeminent concern. Yeah. Your worth and your glory will be to bring to pass their immortality and eternal life yeah. and mm-hmm. their happiness. So there, there, there is in the, in that moment a sense of surrendering your own will. And I'd say that's a very small minority who's ready to surrender that will because it absolutely is. That right now, you've got mostly, you know, even in the church uh, and everywhere, people. Ha- I don't know. I guess this Satan's really done a good job at changing the psychology uh, and the philosophy of. Of everybody, family is no longer your life's ambition for everybody. Right. It's, I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. When I grow up, I'm going to do this. How about when I grow up, I'm going to be a dad or a mom? Right. What happened to that American dream? That's the real American dream. You can have your family in peace. You can afford, you know, to breathe because there's freedom and all this, you know. And, uh, but another thing I wanted to say is, um, there's also the flip side to where we're seeing a lot of marriages fall apart, unhappy people and all this. And you got to have a righteous people in general, people who are interested in, you know, doing higher, like if you have free time, yeah, it's healthy to do some recreation. But also, like, I know with me, my favorite, I mean, I shouldn't say this, but <laughs> people in general, if if they can learn to enjoy some kind of higher cause involvement, you know, um, but so you got to have a halfway decent people before you're going to mess with this, yep. the big league stuff. And the other thing that I was going to say is it's not just harder, harder, harder. We're going <laughs> up the ladder of higher doctrines. It's getting harder. Not at all. The Lord compensates and I'm maybe I'm, I, I haven't been there and done everything, but the Lord compensates when it gets harder with more joy mm-hmm. as you know, better than us. And as we know with, with our challenges that we've faced, things that we've let go of in life to be able to do something good. It's the same thing. So let's give an example that might exist in a, in a plural marriage family. My wife is a, she likes to talk. She likes to talk and she likes to be with adult women. And she says, man, I'm home. Sometimes it's rough because, and that's okay to have it rough sometimes. And we look for solutions to this because we want her to be happy. But sometimes it's me and kids all day. And I don't get to talk to adults. It's like, gosh, Plural marriage would fix that problem. And then, you know, sometimes it's, you know, so there are harder things that would probably come, but there are also improvements that would strengthen things. There's definitely upside to it, like I just expressed, right? Yeah. But I I would say and I would caution it doesn't come without some sacrifice on everybody. Oh, yeah. If you're expecting to do something divine without expecting sacrifice, that's bad (laughs) it's it's just not gonna happen right well i want to go back to something else that you said that here a few minutes ago that that's struck me this idea of 
um, I want to be a dad or I want to be a mom, right? Yeah, where's that aspiration? That's not there anymore. No way. No. And parents I, don't even like, I guess they forget to present that as a, you know, I told my kids just the other night, look, you guys, I don't really care what you do for a vocation. And God doesn't really care what you do for a vocation. Do something that you might enjoy. Sure. And it's honest. But your main aspiration needs to be family life. Why do you think it is that the idea today of raising your kid to be, if he's a male, a dad, or a female, to be a mom, why is that Why is that so hard? It's not dignified in our postmodern society. We have this idea that we are going to liberate all by letting women do all these men jobs and it's okay if you are, you know, the CEO. In fact, that's what you should aspire to is to be the CEO. And what we've done is we've taken woman from her place and tried to fit her into men's place in the name of feminism. And it doesn't work. It destroys society. When you take a mother out of the home, now I understand there are some moms that have to work for their family to stay afloat. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when we aspire to have the woman be the breadwinner all the time, And expect her to have a more dignified position than the father. That's a problem. When we expect her to have a job that forces her to not have a family because she spends too many hours outside of the home to have kids and to raise children, that's a problem because it's breaking down not just one family, but society as a large. Because we have so many people that have followed this trend that women need to be this that we've destroyed traditional roles of men and women. If you look at television shows, most television shows right now demean men. They do. The men are portrayed as bumbling idiots, not dads who are kind and considerate and know how to help their children. We as a society have destroyed the roles of both mothers and fathers. I think some of that, too, uh, goes back to uh, the whole trans issue. Oh, absolutely. Right? Um, this idea that it can be fluid, right? I, I, I think there's severe damage being done when you start talking about a, a woman who aspires to be a mom and then, and then you downplay that, mm-hmm. right? Or... Uh, you look at a guy and you say, you know, he's he's got toxic masculinity, right? Now, obviously, if you're a man and you're beating on your wife and kids, yeah, it's pretty toxic, mm-hmm. right? But this idea of um, men naturally usually being a little more aggressive, right? I think I think that's normal. I think that's one of the things that that we're hurting our kids with now is that you know, look, when when I grew up. Most of the guys that I hung out with, we got into a fist fight first, right? I mean, it was, you know, knock knock a dude out and, hey, let's go grab some lunch now. We good? Mm-hmm. Right? And and as we've subverted that a little bit, I think, I think that those 
those um, tendencies are starting to manifest themselves in more and more violent ways because we've tried to suppress them rather than give them healthy outlets, right? Take a kid to karate. Take let let the boy play football. Whatever it is, right? And so in 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 subjecting and in, in trying to subdue that natural aggressiveness a little bit, I think we we've damaged our, our kids. And I think we've done it with our girls as well, right? We've we've said something about, yeah, it's fine if you want to be a mom, but you should really get your career established first. And I think that it's hugely important that we recognize that we have, as men and women, these natural inherent um, tendencies. And those can't be subverted, right? You guys got 10 kids. I had six. And now I have grandkids. I promise you, you could drop kids on an island. And for a while, the girls would segregate with the girls. And they would figure out a way to make the island more habitable and easier. And dudes would hit each other with sticks. And, and, just, and hunt. Yeah, That's just the way it is, right? Or hunt. Yeah. And in subduing that, we haven't allowed ourselves to fill the measure of our creation. I think Jordan Peterson talks about how these... The more economic freedom a society has, the more people self-segregate. Like, women don't want to be engineers as much. And for the ones that do, more power to them. Right. And men don't want to be nurses as much. And for the ones that do, more power to them. But we're trying to force people. And there's that agenda to force people to be different. And you're you're not cool if you're not. If you're traditional gender, you're, you know, you must be racist or sexist or you know, evil in some way. Absolutely. I think God created everything to have balance. He created men and women to have traditional roles. And when we take those roles and make them supposedly better and reverse them and change them, suddenly we get rid of a balance that has to exist for society to survive. You know, you can't just have all males hunting all the time. It doesn't work. You can't just have all females trying to make things more habitable without food, right? You have to have the male and the female working together in society. And so when you try to make one of them into the other, or vice versa, it, it creates a giant problem. I mean, I know just in our family, I discipline different than my husband. Sure, we discuss discipline measures, you know, and, and try to be on the same page as far as things that we feel like our children need. But am I going to talk to my child differently than my husband's going to talk to my child if the same thing happens when I'm home alone versus when he's home alone? Yes. And that's 100% okay because they need that balance of the gentle hug and the stern rebuke, right? They need both of those in their lives to be able to understand and comprehend their own life. Right. I was going to say that uh, this is the great day of true women's liberation in a lot of ways. I think the biggest way it's not is that women can't choose what husband they want if he's already married, right? That's a <laughs> that's the that's the extreme irony that that's really anti-feminism that that made that illegal, but so you've got you know, the woman is, oh, she's chained down by this time she has to spend in her home raising her kids, right? 
Well, guess what? The man is also chained down by this time he has to spend putting the bread on the table. You know, sometimes both of those are 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 hard and not what we want to do immediately. Uh, but this is an awesome time to be alive because we've got it's. I can order a book and have it shipped to my house for like yep. under five dollars in under a week. You can get, you know, you've got books, you've got audio books, you've got the internet, you've got, not to mention in America, great wealth that gives us more free time than any time in the history. So the thing is, is you can't, uh, you know, it's really backwards to, to do all the career first and family later stuff. And there was a really, I, one of my favorite messages that I heard recently was, um, Elder Neil Anderson gave that talk called Children, and he gave those examples where it's like you need to, um, you know, like it gives a story about this guy who was wanting to go to med school, and so they were putting off having a family. And I don't remember if it was Spencer Kimball or what. Spencer Kimball had a lot of good things to say about um, family relationships, and he says uh, he's counseling with this guy. He's like, "How am I going to have a?" family I, I need to go to med school then we'll do that stuff and this uh this leader says why would you why would you break god's commandment in order to be a doctor you can have both if you're faithful you can go to med school and have a family and that's when when i heard that over the pulpit i was like i haven't heard anything that bold in a long time um because it's just so unpopular these days um but really, like, a lot of times we see <coughs> family is what you do, like, when you retire. Mm-hmm. Once we've got everything figured out, once I've got this nest egg, once I've got all this, then I'm going to have a family. And it's so backwards. Family is who you're supposed to go on the adventure with. Family is who you're supposed to s- scrap with. You're, you know, you do it together. And, you know, that's... Uh, and you all learn the lessons together, you know? Um, we... We took on this fostering thing, and I was just finishing school. Nate was still in school. He's still in school because he just loves to keep learning. But (laughs) um, it was one of these things that everybody was like, well, why are you doing it now? And why do you have to have kids now? And it's like, "Well, well, why would we not want kids right now? Like... Um, of course I'll quit my job as soon as we get kids and Nate will keep working. In fact, for a while he was going to school and working two jobs so that we could have kids. Um, and we did it because we felt like that's what we'd been asked to do. And it was amazing how many friends and family, um, were like, but why? You guys don't have like, a good nest egg built up. You guys don't have a decent amount in your savings account yet. And we were kind of like, but um, we feel like we've been told that we need to do foster care and there's kids that need our help. And if we're following the Lord, like, we'll be all right. And financially, we're a lot further ahead than we were when we started. And I feel like a lot of that is because we followed the promptings of the Lord to have a family. When maybe according to the world standards, we didn't have all the money in the world. But what's come of that is 
my kids actually have a lot more money sense than a lot of kids their age, right? Like, we took them to the carnival a few weeks ago, and we were discussing, you know, how much tickets cost and things like that, and my oldest daughter was very much like, well, I don't want to waste our money, so if I do this, then we can do this, and if we go on the day where all the rides are one ticket instead of three or four tickets, then, you know, we'll be able to use our money for other things later. I don't think all children have the same comprehension of scrimping and saving and reusing and recycling. Not that we absolutely have to at this point, but it's something that our children have learned to be thrifty in ways that not every child does. And I think it's a good thing. Yeah. And the same goes for marriage. You know, I, I, I think I didn't have any money when we got married. I'm pretty sure. But, and, and it's, it's like great. If that's a, you know, it's wise to like grow up, save money, like maybe before you're that adult or, or marriage age or whatever. I, for X, Y, and Z reasons, I wasn't in that position, but we had to move forward with faith and get married. And, uh, that's, it's a very unpopular thing. Um, you know, and the other thing I wanted to say is, uh, we've talked a lot about being foster parents. This all equally applies to just being a normal parent. We're just a little bit biased because that's been our life and our experience. <laughs> sure. And there's a lot of great work you can do like, hey, these are basically refugees that needed somewhere to go. And that's great. But there's drawbacks to it as well. And there's some of these kids that, you know, there's some, there's some foster kids that wouldn't work well in our house. Because like we don't do well with, with drugs. We don't do well with X, Y, and Z that we won't hash it all out here. But... um Anyway, and there's different constraints on what you can and can't do as a parent when you're when you're working with the government and you're parenting. But I I just wanted to say it's not for everybody and we're not here like telling everyone to go be a foster parent. We're just saying in our world it's like we actually dealt with infertility for a long time, which is what got us into it in the first place. And we've been blessed lately to have um some of some bio kids as well due to some medical advances. But uh, I just wanted to say, we're not we're not sitting here saying that that's what everybody needs to go do. Like, ideally, the, the way to do it is to have your own family. And we were talking about, um, you know, because you can't solve everybody's problems. Um, we were talking about <laughs> how, to, how to get back to the idea of large families. We talked about having that child's, as a priority and we talked about plural marriage but this other thing is don't wait till you're in your (laughs) almost almost barren age to start having a family you know we got to rethink life to where we're you gotta you know so we're that's you know you gotta have the you know if family are like what you're gonna do later after you've accomplished your goals you're probably not gonna have a very big family now, I also want to say this is a really sensitive topic because I feel like maybe most of your listeners or some of them at least are going to say these guys are jerks. Like I don't have a big family and I'm still a good person and like I'm doing my life's calling. We understand that. We're just plugging for big families because we feel like if if it's within your realm of possibility and you're interested in doing something for God, that's our number one recommendation. 
is go have a family. Look, they're they're listening to a Mormon fundamentalist <laughs> podcast. Yeah, right? and that's that's the if, other thing. If yeah, they're that's... offended by the idea of a big family, <laughs> that's they're true. Probably in the wrong spot. Well, it's a breath of fresh air to to right? be in, to be in a little different crowd where maybe some of your audience does have you know twice as many kids as we do. How cool that is! You know, like how much we envy that and how different it is from what we're used to. Because we're like I said, we're used to basically like being really careful to not, you know, scare people and like it's <laughs> on the other hand, yeah. I scare people all the time. People tell me, Oh, I don't know how you can do it being a foster parent. I'm like, well, through the grace of God. And then there's other people that are like, I would love to be a foster parent. And I tell them, yeah, well, let me tell you what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> would, you, would, you really, would you really enjoy yeah. this? <laughs> and, and when she says foster parent, she also means just a parent in general. Someone who's interested in bringing children into your home, you know, at at any phase of your life. Are you interested in keeping the doors open biologically and whatever other means you have to having a child-centered home, you know? Well, yes and no. Um, obviously. We believe that having a family through any means is ordained of God. Um, okay, not any means, but um, <laughs> whether it's adoption or biological or whatever, if you are following those laws to have a family, that's great. There are definitely some difficulties inherent in being a foster parent and, as you said, holding hands with the government while you parent that are a little different than they would be for a biological child. <laughs> and you have to be prepared for that. Sure, mm. yeah. Because they're, they're going to be in your home, right? I, I've been through it. And that... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That irritated me, though. And I was like, I thought we were done with the quartering act back mm -hmm. in the revolutionary <laughs> period, right? Mm -hmm. So, no, I get that. Well, guys, we've done almost two hours now, so I feel like we've reached a good spot here. Um, I'd love to have you back on, though. Is that something you guys would be interested in? Sure. Yeah, it's not every day you get to sit around and chat about your worldviews. It's Perfect. Fun. Is there anything you want to go over now we didn't get to? Um, I guess since one more, th well, maybe I'll milk this, but... <laughs> Since I'm a, I primarily teach science and something that I've been blessed to find is, is like creation science right? and how that's actually really valid science. It's just unpopular and Satan's out to get it. And not every creation science idea is, is true, but you're going to, anyway, that's one of the big reasons that I like ditching school. And doing something on your own in your house or, or at a private school, maybe a Christian school that, but it's hard to find anywhere is evolution is completely false. I have a strong conviction that it is completely false. Things can adapt. You know, this bird's beak's going to get longer on this certain island. Okay. Cause it's going to, you know, obviously some of that, but species to species. And it's, it's a really big thing that you hear about a lot of people who lose their faith in God. They lose, you know, their, you know, uh, Adam and Eve go out the window, you know, um, the, you know, it's basically a way to, again, turn things over to the state because 
the the parents are incapable and the and it's you know there's well, this I, big... I think it's probably more damaging than that right it's damaging to who we perceive ourselves to be right if oh, yeah. if 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 the gospel's true and we are yeah. divine sons of daughters of a divine heavenly father that comes with some responsibility, right? And that also comes with this idea of a divine potential. If we are nothing more than the happenstance of a certain slime with a certain bacteria that got struck by a certain lightning bolt on a certain day in a certain pond, and we became animals, and we're nothing more than evolved animals, well, we can relinquish some of that responsibility. These are my animal instincts. Right, it's, mm-hmm. and it's not enough to just say God uses evolution because that's what they'll all say at BYU. That's what they all say everywhere. If you have someone who has Christian inklings, they'll just say God used evolution. But that's it's laughable because evolution was designed as as a way to get God out of the picture. It's yep. the whole point. Yep, absolutely the whole point. And it's so entrenched in our society that no one thinks no one thinks twice about it. It's like the whole concept of schooling your own kids. It's just not in people's vocabulary. There's all these truths that are so far removed from our society that it doesn't cross anybody's mind. It doesn't cross some of the best people's minds. It's it's like when in the Book of Mormon when he says, if you find faults with me, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best. That's, I feel like there's so many good people today that they just don't know where to go for more truth and more effectiveness. Right. We can heal our homes. We can have kids who are successful. Yeah, there's going to be kids who just want to be crazy no matter what you do. But by and large, like we have some solutions and we didn't get to get into a lot. There's we could go down there's there's you know these best kept secrets of all these different social aspects that we could be doing and um, and all this that we're, we're really pleased to be able to, you know, I do, I do a little blog. Um, it's richardsonstudies.com. I put a lot of this, uh, a lot of these different topics and, um, I write about them there. She'll, you know, we, we do whatever we can to get the word out. And like, like we've been saying this, our theme throughout this whole thing is our family is our main effort. You know, we're not expected to save the world. We're just, um, we, we focus on your family, but it's really, uh, there are, it's like people go around and they, it's really hopeless because it's like, I don't know what to do differently. Right. I've got my family. It's fallen apart. I just don't know what to do differently. I've tried everything. I've tried all the antidepressants. I've tried all the extra summer school. I've tried all the therapists. I've tried, you know, taking my kid to the young men's activities or all these different things. And, uh, you got to dig a little, a little deeper, but it's like in the scripture, you know, in the New Testament where he has to have, uh, the scripture explain him. He's like, how am I going to know this if nobody's here to teach me? And so when you find a little nugget, you know, um, of something that's good and something that works, then you, you run with it and, and you just collect them as much as you can. and. So, anyway. I think I think in the end, one of the scriptures that I try to live by um, is the stripling warriors said that 
they didn't doubt because their mothers knew it. And they'd been taught in their home enough that they risked their lives um, over their belief in God, that he would come through for them in whatever manner that meant. They didn't know whether they'd be spared or not, but they had a belief that had been instilled in them in the home. And that's what I try to do with my kids is instill in them the belief that, as you said, they have a divine purpose and a divine identity and God loves them and cares about them. And even when they can't connect with me and they can't connect with siblings, that there is somebody there to listen to them that cares about what they're doing and who's intimately interested in the details of their lives. And if they can understand that, whether or not they understand calculus, whether or not they understand astronomy, it's not nearly as important. There's all of these founding fathers and really important people that if you go back and look, I mean, Joseph Smith didn't have a ton of education. You know, a lot of the people in our history legitimately didn't have the education we are mandating our children to have right now. So it's not 100% necessary that they pass every single subject to as high as the schools want them, frankly, in my mind. What is necessary is that we teach them to be good people that depend upon the Lord for everything and work as if it depends on them, but pray and follow the guidance of the Spirit as if it all depends on Him. And if we do that, they're going to end up in a much better place than if we spend all of our time making sure that every standard of every school year is checked off in the order that the public school wants them to check it off and that they're doing every extracurricular that every kid their age does. That's not nearly as important. Right. 100%. Yeah, the, the family is, is what's most important. We've, we've advocated some different tricks that help us, like maybe homeschooling or some different experiences we've had. But um, really the, the thing that we encourage people to do most is, is to have a family. And uh, how you do that is not – it's going to all work out and the Lord's going to impress you what to do. Um, but – yeah, and uh, it's it's fun listening to your podcasts and getting oh, to well, getting to meet you. different people that um, have so many cool things to talk about, and it's just lots of fun going off on a bunch of topics. So we appreciate the opportunity. Well, thank you. I I enjoy having everybody here that's been here so far, and I've always said I started this for me because there's a lot of cool people out there, yourselves included. That uh, that I can definitely learn from and glean something from. So thank you for being here. I'm serious. Let's do this again. Love to. Yeah. All right. Perfect. All right, everyone. We'll talk to you next time.